the scripture for today is Romans 6, 12 through 14. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Am I? I'm good? All right. Okay. Anybody get any good masks for uh, Christmas? Um, stocking stuffers and stuff. Um, okay, so um, as far as like attendance here goes, I think this is okay. Uh, we're trying to do everything we can to be safe. We're, if the, um, just throwing it out there, I don't want every conversation to be about all this, but um, as if every conversation for the last year hasn't been about this. Um, I think if infection rates hit like 11% in Tampa, we're probably going to dial it back. Bring, you know, bring the numbers down a little bit into, I think we're at like 18% attendance right now. Maybe bring it back, back a little lower. Um, but in case you don't know, um, I did want to make you aware, I was sharing it yesterday on our social media feeds, that um, our uh, county is opening up uh, vaccines tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. Uh, for those age 65 and older. So if you are 65 and older, if you know somebody who's 65 and older, there's a, there's, they have a website set up that you can go to right tomorrow morning at like 9 o'clock in the morning and, uh, and sign up and, and get in line to get the vaccine. So, um, but what I wanted to say is, uh, for those of you who are, um, who, have, who have family members who uh, are, are elderly um, and who may not be tech-savvy like you are, um, Hit them up today. Give them a call. Say, hey, do you know how to register for this? Uh, can I help you? Can I come over and help you out? And if they need a ride, maybe give them a ride. Um, whatever we can do to help um, bring sort of life and, and, uh, and goodness into, uh, into a time like this. Um, also, I have, um, I have more time in my schedule for, like, if you need spiritual guidance at all. Like, if you need anything like that. Me and the elders, we, we try to make ourselves available and lately, sort of the uh, meetings have been dropping off. It's probably because of the holidays, and maybe they'll pick back up again. But I wanted to know, you guys here and everybody watching on, online, um, that just email me, Tommy, at watermarktampa.com, if, like, if you want some guidance, if you want to talk about scriptures, if there's something in particular that's on your heart. Or maybe like you and a friend, if you're not comfortable, if you have a little bit of social anxiety, whatever, bring a friend, and let's do a Zoom call, and let's talk. Because um, I want to be able available to give guidance um, however I can. I'm driving Michael nuts with this thing. Sorry, Michael. I'm adjusting my mic. It's one of those things. There's another church that meets here, and we share microphones, and we have different shaped heads. <laughs> okay. Um, so there's that. Tommy at watermarktampa.com. So uh, hit me up, and, uh, and let's talk, and let's, let's see what's going on. So let's pray. And um, I'm doing something different today. You might have noticed we're in the book of Romans today. So let's, let's pray, and let's jump into this, shall we? Father, thank you for... Uh, for your word, thank you for preserving it down through the centuries um, so that we could gather here and open it up and read it and contemplate the, uh, the, the words and the life of not just Jesus, but also his followers, the apostles, um, and the early Christians, the early church. I pray that we would um, have our minds open today to what you have for us to hear and to learn, myself uh, included. Uh, speak to us, encourage us, give us sort of a, a picture 
of what we can be doing to bring your kingdom into, uh, into our world. Um, and as we enter into a new uh, year, may we have sort of um, all, the, all the dials tuned to sort of follow you this year. May, may it be a little different this year um, because, because maybe we understand that you're present with us and that these external circumstances shouldn't determine our level of joy or our level of love uh, for the world around us. Thank you, Father. In your name, amen. So, um, geez, no, geez. It's going to be one of those. It's going to be one of those sermons where, like, the whole time I'm doing this, and you guys pretend that I'm not. Okay, um, so here's what happened. What had happened was I wrote a sermon last week that was going to be the last sermon of 2020, and I'm like, uh, I'm just going to start to put it all into perspective and lay out a path to the new year. And so I'm going to gather up all my thoughts that I've sort of had over the year that have to do with, like, the church and our place and who we are and what exactly has gone wrong in our culture and our society and in the church culture at large. Um, and I was going to lay that all out for you and talk about it. And then 2020 happened again. And one of our staff members came down with coronavirus, and we don't know where they got it. And so we, when that happens here, we shut everything down, and all the staff have to get tested. Uh, and none of us have it other than that one person. So that's good. Um, but it ruined my sermon. So I'm doing it again, and now it's a New Year's sermon. <laughs> um, and I've, I've added more to it and thought a lot about this week, um, about what needs to be said, because honestly, um, if we're going to reflect and look back, it's been a weird time. It's been like everything you can imagine like that can happen in a society over decades and decades ended up in one year. And I mean, I was thinking about like the stuff that happened this year that feels like it was a long time ago, like Australian brush fires, right? Like the impeachment seems like it was two years ago. It was January. Um, like everything seems like it was so long ago. And it's just been absolute chaos, and, and there's been so much to contemplate and so much to deal with and process, while at the same time the church can't be present together, and we have found out what the absence of bodily presence does to a community. Um, it's difficult. It's really hard, um, because we need to see each other. We need to be able to embrace each other and talk to each other, um, but we can't, and so... We have to be extra gracious, and we have to find ways to, like, still keep community together despite things being disunified. And it's hard to do, but it's something we have to do. Um, and so I kind of want to talk about, um, after looking backwards, I kind of want to look forward and reflect on, after, not, after what we've all been through together, contemplate our steps forward. Because... Not everyone has had the same year around the world. There have been different places in the world where things have been vastly different. Some places have been far worse, and some places have been relatively joyful. Um, and a lot of it comes down to culture. And so this morning, I want to spend some time talking about culture, what culture is, how culture is built, um, and the role that, that, that we play as Christians in shaping the culture in which we all sort of live and swim, right? Um, and so before we get to talking about culture, we really need to have a conversation about sort of what that passage in Romans was about, which is sin. 
And I know people don't like to talk about sin. I, I find it wildly important to talk about sin. Um, because I think there's a lot of things that, uh, in our avoidance of talking about sin, sort of as a generation, there's things we have failed to understand about how sin functions in society and what it does. Um, and so I want to talk about some of that. I'm going I'm to give you some big words to ponder, and then I'm going to sort of like, I'm going to define five words for you, and then we're going to talk about it all together. So first off, the thing I want to talk about is, I want to point out that in case you didn't know, there are more than one type of, 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 of sin in the Bible. Um, there's, there's what we, what theologians call like little s sin. These are the sins that we commit on our own. These are like the lies we tell, the, um, the, the things that we steal, the ways that we disrupt the shalom that God is, is intending for the world, right? Um, I think Alvin uh, Plandinga said that sin is the absence, uh, sin is the disruption of God's shalom. That's how he described it. Alvin Plandinga Jr. Um, and I like that definition. That is one type of sin. Sin really comes from the word um, hamartia, which uh, is a word that has to do with archery, and it means you missed. It means missing the mark. You shot at the target, you missed. You were supposed to be this, but you're not. <laughs> you're supposed to be good at shooting arrows, but you're bad at it. Um, so you're a sinner. Um, so that's one type of sin. It's little s sin. It's the sins that we do. But there's another type of sin in the Bible, what theologians call, sort of they describe as capital S sin. And capital S sin is different. Capital S sin is the sins, um, it's sort of, it's the sins that, that we sort of take part in that we have no control over. And you might hear that and you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. You always have a control over sin if you're a follower of Christ. Uh, but I want you to hear me out. Um, if you actually sit down this week and read Romans 5 through 8, um, you're going to hear... What you're going to read is, is this whole other way of talking about sin. So this, the term sin is used 41 times in just those three chapters, Romans 5 through 8. In just those three chapters, Paul goes off on this tirade. He's got a gathering of, of conservative uh, fundamentalist Jews, and he's got some liberal um, Roman Gentiles, and they're in church together, and they're not getting along, and he wants to talk to them about what has happened amongst them why there's so much disunity. And in chapter 5, he launches into this discussion. He's been talking about sin up until chapter 5 as things that we do. But all of a sudden in chapter 5, he describes a kind of sin that is completely different. So let me one more time define these terms for you. So sometimes theologians refer to sin, little s sin, as things that humans do. But there's the other type of sin is capital S sin. This is the sins that, that is sort of, it refers to things done to us, sins that are committed upon us, and somehow we take part in it. And let me show you what I mean. Let me show you some references here from Romans chapter uh, 5 through 8. Different things that sin does that Paul describes. And they are fascinating. So in Romans 5, 12, sin enters in to a space, and it brings something with it, death. Um, you have in uh, 6 to 7, there's, it describes sort of this body of sin that enslaves us. As it sin has like a body, and it, it grabs you and enslaves you. And then there is, uh, in, in 12, in 612, sin reigns and has these evil desires. So sin has desires, and sin reigns. And then uh, in 623, sin brings death. Like, we've already talked about that. In 78a, sin causes someone to covet. In 7, 8, B th uh, 8 through 9, it's this, it, sin sort of springs up 
to life. I wanted to like read one of these here. Um, oh man, come on, where are we at? Sin. Oh, 720. I want to read 720 to you. It says this, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who does it, but it is sin living within me who does it. So that old like adage of like, it wasn't me, it was my sin that did that. Or like people are like, the devil made me do it, it's not me. The devil's very strong and very weak. Um, and so like what Paul is describing though, like these are the actions of people. These are the things that people do. People reign, people control, people capture, people carry stuff. Like these are things that people do. Why is Paul describing sin as if it's a person? And that's a huge question that for a very long time theologians have sort of batted around. But there's been this general understanding of sort of in Paul's mind how this functions in Paul's world. Um, but the question that we bring to this is how can sin do all of these things if it doesn't have a mind and a body? What can, what can this even mean? And whose fault is it then if there's pain and suffering and death all around us? Um, <clears throat> if, if Paul is saying the problem is not me, the problem is my sin, what part do we play in all of this if sin is making us sin somehow? Um, and so there's four terms I want to talk about today. Um, I'll just read them out for you real fast. Culture, emergence, supervenience, and downward causation. Those words might mean nothing to you right now unless you're uh, in one of my leadership classes that I teach with the, in the leadership sort of teams here online. I taught this a little while back. And when we go through the book of Romans, um, who knows when, um, we're going to deep dive into like all these concepts and what they are and what they mean uh, for now, I'm going to do sort of skim the top of the whole thing and sort of teach you something that hopefully I'll put it simply and plainly enough that you can comprehend it. Because once you understand this, this had a huge impact on my life when I grasped all of this. Um, so I want to start off with culture um, and discuss some of these terms. So culture, we can define culture as sort of the characteristics and the knowledge of a particular group of people encompassing language, religion, cuisine, social habits, music, arts, all kinds of things. Um, there is no one who is unencultured. There is no unencultured person. Every one of us lives in a culture um, and has been sort of raised up in that culture. Every single person is formed by the culture in which they exist and are born into. Every single person contributes to the formation of that same culture. And we build sort of these cultures together every day with every action that we take. We are collectively building a culture together. So not only are you and I personally responsible for existing, uh, for the existing culture of our country, uh, we had a part to play in it, um, or even this church, if we want to bring it down, like we all had a part to play in the building of the culture of this church, every one of you. Culture is not something that is built from the top. It's not me and the elders in a room deciding what the culture is going to be. In some sense, we are responding to the culture that already exists in the church uh, with sort of spiritual um, direction. Um, we continue to bear responsibility for the future cultures that our children will be born into and raised in. We are building this together, all of these cultures collectively. There is this quote from um, my professor, Scott McKnight. He wrote a book, uh, came out about a month ago. It's called A Church Called Tove. Tove is the Hebrew word for good. Um, a brilliant book, by the way, and I think I'm going to, um, <clears throat> in a re I'm making a reading list this year for the church, and I think this is going to be at the top of it. And... Uh, and uh, it's, so he says this, he says, everyone in the church is complicit in whatever culture is formed, good or bad. Um, I fully see that. If something is wrong with a corporate culture, if something is wrong with a church culture, if something is wrong with um, a community culture, a sub, the culture of a subdivision in which you live, um, 
and you are a part of that organization, then you are also to blame. You have helped form that. You have contributed to the formation of that culture. And so why we are, we are, we are not by any means sort of a model church for the world to look at, I'm proud of the culture that we've built. I'm proud of you guys. I'm, I'm proud of everyone who is, who is gathered, tuning in right now online. Like, um, I think our culture is relatively healthy. It's got some rough edges. <laughs> um, but I think it's centered on goodness. I think we're trying to be good. Um, I think we're trying to be Christ-like. And I appreciate that. So that's culture. There's that phrase. The next phrase is, uh, the next word is emergence. Let's talk about emergence. Emergence, uh, I'll dumb this down for you. It's, it's the propensity of lower levels of a system, uh, the propensity of lower levels, level, lower levels of a system to give rise to new properties and behaviors and entities at a higher level. And so basically, here's what this means. Um, the best way I can describe this is, is to think about books. Books start off as letters, individual letters that are put together with little spaces to form words. And as you move down to words, as you build more words, you string those words together, you end up with sentences. And as you string those sentences together, you end up with essays and paragraphs and then essays. And what you end up with in the end is a book. That book was not possible without the letters and the punctuation and all the pieces that went into it. Um, the book is sort of a, uh, it's a collection of all these things put together. A book is not a bunch of letters. It is, it is a story or a poem or history or a manual. A book is a brand new thing. It is not letters. It is not words. It is not paragraphs or essays. A book is a whole new thing that, ar that arose out of words and letters. Um, a book, this new thing that you make out of these other things that no longer is what it was, has the ability to do new things. A book can shape culture. A book can inform you and change you. How many of you have ever read a book that has changed your life? Every one of us is like, yes, we have. I have too. You will one day read another book that will change your life. Because this is what books do. How many of you have ever seen a letter that changed your life? Nothing. It doesn't work that way. Because books are a whole new thing. Um, books can create terrible cultures. There was a book in Germany written by Hitler called Mein Kampf, which caused the death of millions and millions of people. There is a, uh, a book in American history called Uncle Tom's Cabin that changed the perspective of a lot of Americans and awakened them up to the evils of slavery. There are all kinds of books that have done incredible things, and there are books that have been burned because people are terrified of what they will do to their people. Um, so that is, um, oh, sorry. Uh, so that is emergence. The, emer the idea of emergence is that little things become whole new things that are bigger, that have whole new purposes and roles. The next word I want to talk about is the word supervenience. And the word supervenience is, is defined like this, the dependence of the higher level, the emergence, upon the lower. And basically it's this. The big thing is utterly dependent upon the little thing. Books don't exist without words. They can't. Even though there's something new, they don't exist. You take, the, you take the words away, you lose the whole thing. It takes millions and millions of little things to form a big thing. Anything you look at shows signs of supervenience. Your own body is trillions of cells 
all put together and organized in a certain way to make you, you. But you are not a cloud of atoms, as C.S. Lewis says. Like, you're not just a cloud of atoms arranged in a particular way. You are something new and different. Um, a government is the sum of all of its parts put together. A new thing arises out of it. Now, the last word I want to talk about, the last, this one's more of a phrase, it's called downward causation. And downward causation is this, causation exerted by an emergent entity on its supervenient space. And here's what this means. The big thing will control the little things. Once the big thing is made, it controls the little things. All these cells came together to form your body, and what does your body do? It takes care of all the cells. Like, it guides them. It grooms them. It, <clears throat> it cleans it and washes it. Like, it, it, the little things make the big thing that then controls and manipulates complete control of the little things. So, um, current books form a culture. The books that exist right now that are being written, uh, they will form a culture which impacts all book writing everywhere. Books that come after today's books will have pieces of today's books in them that will lead to another place. Um, and it determines how future letters and words are strung together. Slang enters in. Our language begins to change. My kids watch um, shows from like the 40s and they're like, Daddy, why did everybody have like a little accent? Like, it's hard to pinpoint what exactly it is. But it's like, like it's different. Like, it, they sound weird. Um, and you're like, where did that go? So that, that arises all together and then it changes and moves and we don't talk like that. And our kids will... Grandkids, great-grandkids will look back and hear how we talk now. Maybe they'll find this video on YouTube, and they'll be like, great-great-grandpa Tommy talks funny. I did. Um, to you. Because things have emerged that have guided how you speak. So current books form a culture, and it impacts all book writing, all uh, far down the line. And it makes new rules about how they behave, how books behave, how books are used, and what books can be. Little things form big things that control other little things around them. And individuals get together to write constitutions, and then constitutions determine what future actions those individuals can take. We come together, we make a constitution, and that now tells us what we can and can't do. And when you break it, you can get thrown out of the constitution that you made, or arrested, thrown in prison, all kinds of stuff. Um, so, these are the words that I wanted to bring to your attention. And I kind of want to help you understand how they kind of piece together um, <clears throat> and what this means. Now, if you're interested in reading farther into all this kind of stuff, like there's been a lot of work done on this. Someone just wrote a book and put it out like last year called The Emergence of Sin. It's about um, Paul's use of sin in Romans 5 through 8. I highly recommend it. It's, it's a thick, heavy read, so it's not for everyone, but it's amazing. Um, and it's by a guy named Matthew Krausman. So a uh, Christian theologian. The Emergence of Sin is the book. Um, <clears throat> So, oh, there's two book recommendations already. Um, so, here's the words. You have culture, emergence, supervenience, and downward causation. What is the point of me telling you all this? Um, here's the point. We all live in a culture. Every one of us is in a culture. And every one of us forms this culture ourselves. We are individuals. We form the culture that we exist in. Um, and the way we form it is by the little actions that we take, the little everyday things that we do, supervene together and form the culture above us. You are contributing to it every single day with every single action. When you walked in this door, the way you interacted with people, um, if you signed up to come, the, the, the ways that um, you respond to all of our procedures, like you are forming the culture. 
with every little action that you take. And as you do this, you are then, uh, the culture will, will, will form a downward causation upon all of us that will cause everyone else to behave differently. You are feeding into the system that is actually causing other people to behave a different way. This is how culture works. This is how things emerge, and this is how things change. Um, once a culture is in motion, it will affect everyone involved, including yourself. You are creating something that will create you. If you pour evil into that culture, deception, malice, and spite, and anger into that culture, it will turn you into that person. It will rain down upon you and control you and keep you from becoming a happy, joyous person. Um, I want to... Here's a quote from um, uh, David Brooks. He wrote this book called The Second Mountain, where he talks a lot about this kind of stuff as well. He says, Never underestimate the power of the environment you work in to gradually transform who you are. When you choose to work at a certain company, you are turning yourself into the sort of person who works in that company. Moreover, living life in a pragmatic, utilitarian manner turns you into a utilitarian pragmatist. Utilitarian pragmatist. Have you ever seen people that work at a certain company, you're like, I can never work for them. It takes a certain kind of person to work there because they're, and you describe sort of some negative culture that they have. And you're like, and I'm not like that. If you worked there, you would become that. This is what cultures do. Your parents always told you growing up, you will become the sum of the people you hang out with. On average, psychologists tell us we will become the average of the five people we hang out with the most. Choose wisely. Like, that's what they tell us. Um... You are easily changed by entering into and exiting cultures. You become like the culture that you exist in, and you cannot remain untouched by it. Once the structure of the culture is in place, it cannot be easily changed, and it cannot be easily resisted. It cannot. And all who join it, even in the periphery outskirts of it, will be affected by it. Here's another quote from David Brooks. He says, every action you take, every thought you have, changes you. Even just a little, making you a little more elevated or a little more degraded. If you do a series of good deeds, the habit of other-centeredness becomes gradually engraved into your life. It becomes easier to do good deeds down the line. If you lie or behave callously or cruelly towards someone, your personality degrades, and it is easier for you to do something even worse later on. If you, let's just say one day, you see evil, television, in real life, whatever. You hear somebody say something evil, and you shrug one day. You're like, you're tired, and you shrug at that evil thing. You have set in, set in motion um, a trajectory that will turn you into the kind of person that shrugs at evil. You will become that. Uh, once you go along with evil, once you shrug at it, you begin to excuse it. It now stays with you. That action, your brain will tell you, what? nothing happened. It wasn't so bad. That will stay with you. It's part of your psyche now. It becomes your response. You see evil that you used to condemn, and now you just shrug. And when you shrug, it's a communal setting. It's, other people see it. Perhaps they shrug as well. And it continues. And eventually you will find that you are a person who is part of a people who shrug at evil. And once you're a part of a people that shrug at evil, 
you're not going to be able to break free of that very easily. That will continue to influence you over and over and over, day in and day out. When one person, though, stands up and does not shrug, when one person stands up and calls it out, they might be ostracized, they might be called idealistic, not very pragmatic, but what they have just done is they have fed a good thing into a culture that is bad. And they have prompted other people to say, why don't you feed something into it as well? Why don't we build something that is good, that supervenes on good, and causes a downward causation of goodness on people instead of evil? How do we break this cycle? How do we, how do we correct a culture gone bad? It's one little thing at a time. And that sort of brings us back to Romans chapter 8, the passage that we read this morning. This is what Paul is getting at in Romans chapter 8. We commit these sins one at a time, and somehow they collect and they become a body of sin that arises to almost this conscious-like state that ends up controlling you. And Paul writes it, he's like, the things that I want to do, I can't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. If you've ever been on a diet, you know what that's like. Like when you eat too much junk food, it fires all the receptors in your brain that want junk food, and so you can't stop eating junk food. Because you have rewired your brain to desire it, and so now it is controlling you. Our individual sins create a body of sin that then, that then pushes down upon us, causing us to continue down this path of sin. Um, on the socioeconomic side, these little things that we do collect to form a countrywide culture that we get stuck in. I mean, you can break it down to a million little pieces, even like addiction to fossil fuels this morning. Um, we, were we were talking about like electric cars and stuff. When you talk about our addiction to fossil fuels, we cannot free ourselves of fossil fuels. Like, we built the whole thing on it, and now we're stuck. And we realize that, like, oh, this is going to, this ends very badly if we continue down this path, but it's incredibly hard to get off of it. This is one thing of a thousand things, a bajillion things, systemic racism, that, that we, you know, you do a little thing to keep your people in a little thing here and there, and you sort of stack the cards in, like, your family's favor, and everyone else is doing this, and this turns into a body that creates, like, a system that has contained some sort of systemic racism that you can't even pull out without dismantling the whole thing. And, and, and you don't know how to get out of this. This is how it functions. When we individually even encourage a sexual ethic that, that makes women's bodies a commodity for advertising, causing young girls to think that that's how they need to look, causing all kinds of body shame, and you try to teach your kids to get out of it, and you try to raise them not to think of themselves as this sexualized being in the eyes of other people and your daughters not to sell their bodies as a commodity in the open market for, for other people to use in advertising to sell their product and instead to treat you as a, as a human being with full worth. Yet the whole time you're doing this, you yourself are susceptible to like image and you care how you look and how you're presented and you want people to like you and you want financial opportunities as well. And you can't break free of it. 
And that's the socioeconomic sort of big picture. When you get down to like the personal level, it's just as present. Abusing a substance, uh, substance abuse in order to sort of numb pain rewires your brain to where it can no longer numb the pain unless you have the substance. And then what do you do? It is now controlling you. If you neglect the time needed for the filling of your soul, let's say you're just like a, you're like a mom or a dad, you've got all these courses, or you're just somebody who's like a single person with, with all of these people that you have to take care of, and maybe you have a job and you're a manager or whatever, and you're working hard and you're exhausted, but there's all these people who need things from you, and so you're, you're pouring out and pouring out and pouring out, but you never, you never stop to fill yourself up. Um, when you neglect the filling of your soul because of all the commitments that you have made to others, either ministry or family or obligations or whatever, those are good things to do, but eventually your soul begins to die, and, and with it, your ability to be effectively be Christ-like and actually your ability to feed and take care of these people around you who you have obligations to, and you're training them to expect you to give more of yourself. And so that one time when you skip filling your, filling your soul because someone else has called and demanded that you fill theirs, you do it once. Now that you've done it once, you can do it again. You're a few months from never doing it again. You can't do this. Today's sins are the result of yesterday's sins. They are. The sins that you struggle with right now you could look back, they are their direct result of decisions you have already made in the past. And you want to know something else? Tomorrow's sins will be the direct result of today's sins. The things that you do in the coming year. There are marriages that will fall apart 10 years from now because of a decision someone will make today. They will, that will set themselves on a path that they will lose control of. It's a biblical concept. The scriptures talk about your sins being passed on to the third and the fourth generation. You are creating sins today that your children will commit. And that may actually start. Your grandchild may commit a sin because of something you do this very day that starts a path for you. The choices you make matter. The life matters. We are forming culture day in and day out. We are, you know how to change culture? The only way to effectively change culture is through relationships and time. You can't change the culture by swapping out some leader at the top. That's not how it works. He's a reflection of the culture. The person at the top is a reflection of us, good or bad. It's a mirror. We are sick. We are broken. Swapping positions of people in charge isn't going to fix this. Whenever people get together, forming a culture is inevitable. And that culture inevitably shapes everyone in the culture, like we've been talking about. This is how it works. The personal spiritual formation of the Christian contributes to the communal for, uh, spiritual, for, to, to the spiritual formation of the community. The things that you do this, this morning, this afternoon, tomorrow morning, your attempts to fill your soul you're setting aside a time of prayer and fasting and strengthening of yourself contributes to the culture and the life that I live, the life that we all live. It contributes directly to the work that I do as I respond to the culture that is being built. 
We need you, we need you, all of you, to be learners and discerners and readers and servants. We need both prayer warriors and we need justice warriors. We need all of it. Um, we need you to become anchored in the life and teachings of Jesus Christ while not remaining ignorant to the plights of those suffering in your midst. We need you to see it. We need you. Yes, I need you to give that, that dollar to that homeless person. Every little act. Have you noticed when the car in the front of the line does it, everyone else does it? Whether or not you think the person needs it, whether or not you're sitting around judging bitterly what they're going to do with that money, even though nobody in your life is judging anything you've done with yours. Um, your personal decisions made in your heart affect the culture of this church. And so my argument this morning is simple. A culture that has gone bad, which is what I think has happened out there. Culture has gone bad. And a culture that has gone bad needs the church to be a place and a culture of goodness. They need us to be good. They desperately need us to be much better, to be more loving, more Christ-like. In whatever tiny, infinitesimally small capacity you are able, I need you to do that. We need you to do that for us, not just for you, for you as well, but we need it. The church, the world needs a church that is a place that always speaks plainly and truthfully, that believes that no one is too far gone, that is secure enough in our own identity in Christ to be impervious to labels that are thrown at us. A church that does not delude the simple, clear teachings of Jesus about loving our enemies and caring for the poor, setting the prisoners free, and welcoming the stranger. That's what the world needs us to be. And it has to start now, and it has to continue for years and decades and centuries. So that we can begin to correct things. That's why the early church is, is described in the Bible as a, a city on a hill, a light in the darkness, which cannot be hidden. Because the goodness flowing from it was dragging people in off the streets. People were walking by, looking in at the agape feasts of the early church, and they're stunned at what they're seeing. Men, women, slave-free, Gentile, Jew, pagan, Scythian, like, they're all together at a table. What is this? That's what they need. It has to start now. And so this year, my, like, my charge for you this year is to read that book, to do that simple act of kindness, that one thing, make that time to pray, that extra minute of listening to that unheard person who wants to talk, but you have stuff to do. Forget that stuff. The person in front of you is what you are doing. It is like that's what you're talking. That's where your attention is right now. That conversation is what you are doing. Um, make eye contact with that unseen person. Say those encouraging words. Send that note. Pour yourself out for your enemy. Somehow do that little thing. Bring heaven into that moment, and let's begin to somehow rebuild ourselves for the sake of the salvation of the world around us. That is what we need. The only way culture is ever going to change is through relationships and time. You can shuffle the furniture on the Titanic, but it's still sinking. You can do that all you want. They need us to be Christ-like people. That's what they need. And we've known this. We've just not been, we've just not been taking part in it for so long. And when I say us, I mean like Christians. 
I mean the church, capital C. Our culture has gone bad. But think of it this way. That culture is flowing. Think of like water flowing up to a pool that flows back down into your pool. Every drop Hello. My microphone died, for those of you wondering where the sound went online. Um, think of it like this. Your life is a pool of water. There's a pool of water above you. It's flowing into that. It's flowing back down to this, defying all physics. And every little bit that you pour into that replaces some of that other stuff. Every little bit that we individually pour into this pool of culture begins to change it. Continue pouring little by little every single day. And so I want to end today with our collect prayer. Do I have it on here? I do. Why don't you guys stand with me? This is what's been taking the place of our communion. It's something we do together. We proclaim together. And when we proclaim it, we picture ourselves as the people of Israel in the wilderness wandering. And we say it loudly so the nations can hear. All right? And so this guy can hear. Here we go. Let's say it nice and loud. Emmanuel, who became flesh and dwelt within us, be with us in our waiting, in our sorrow and in our joy, as we live within the expectancy of your goodness. Bind our hearts together in unity and peace as we carry your presence in the world, bringing your kingdom to earth. Let's pray. Father, be with us, guide us, help us to be a people who build cultures of goodness people who pour goodness into sort of the well that we are collectively drinking from. Let us individually fill ourselves up so that we can be poured out. Let us take that extra time with those around us, pouring into them. Um, Let us somehow contribute to the good shaping of our world. Thank you, Father. In your name, amen. Love you all. I'm glad you could be here and join us. Grace and peace. Why don't we all hang out. Stop raining. So let's hang out outside and like and talk and catch up, shall we? Grace and peace.